This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. The devil is always nearest when you and I least expect it. He approaches us at times when we are weak and think that we are able to stand in our own strength. When we fail to rely in faith upon our Savior and rest in our own arm of flesh, when we underestimate the power of the devil, Satan is upon us, and we stumble before him, and he eats us alive. The devil is always there and ready to lead us away from God and his commandments. If you do not believe this, then ask Peter, who writes an important word to us in this day. He walked side by side with Jesus and his fellow disciples to the Mount of Olives. Jesus declared to his disciples, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Peter did not like these words Jesus spoke of him. These words pointed to his weakness. Peter, in pride, felt that he was strong and courageous. He was willing to die for Jesus. So Peter hastily responded, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus then rebuked him. Peter, Peter, the devil would have you to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. A few hours later we find Peter standing outside the high priest's palace, weeping bitter tears. He had just denied his Lord three times. Three times he had given in to the prompting of the devil. If it were not for the preserving grace of God and forgiveness freely given him in Christ, he would have been like unto Judas Iscariot. But Jesus had prayed for him. Now Peter gives us the instruction that we contemplate in our broadcast today in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Ah, Peter had learned by his experience. Would you and I be so bold as to deny that that's true? You and I fight some of the most formidable foes in our battle against sin, fellow, fellow believers. Satan is the strongest of these. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood when we fight against Satan. We fight against the ruler of the darkness of this world. Surely, we do not think that we have strength enough in ourselves to resist the devil. Unless, of course, we think we are that much spiritually stronger than Peter or David, who also gave in to the devil. We're going to consider this adversary today. Peter presents to us this stark reality. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring, roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Using this figure, Peter makes very concrete and real for us 
that which is often in our minds vague and abstract, and that is this, the devil is real. We may not be able to see him, but he is real, as real as if we were to stand face to face with a lion. Perhaps we have seen lions at a zoo. Lion is a fascinating beast. He's an overgrown cat. His actions are very much the same as a cat, walking quietly and gracefully. Most of the time, it seems, he does not even seem to be fully aware of his surroundings. The lion is a figure of controlled yet fierce power. We can see the muscles rippling beneath his tawny hide as he walks. His great yellow fangs exude a ferociousness that is unparalleled by any other animal. Because of his prowess, power, and might, he has become known as the king of the beasts. He walks with a regal dignity. When he attacks his prey, he reveals a fury which, when released, strikes fear into the heart of mortal man. This mighty beast, which is of considerable weight, the Lord has supplied with great padded paws. These are advantageous to him as he stalks his prey. The lion, as a large cat, is able to walk through the tall grasses of the plain, or, as in Peter's day, through the forests, without a sound. He's very quiet as he stalks, crouching low to the ground, blending in with his surroundings. Because of his quietness, his prey is unaware of his approach until he is very close at hand, and when as near as possible, a lion is swift to devour. He lets out a, a mighty roar, and with a swiftness that would amaze you, he leaps upon his prey. The roar serves to freeze his prey for a few seconds, but in those few seconds, the lion leaps upon it, and with all fury, lets loose, tears it, prey in pieces. Oh, the fury. He rends his victim apart limb from limb until there is nothing left but blood and entrails. That is a horrible and gruesome reality, which, if we were to see it, leaves one quivering in fear at that lion, the mighty king of beasts. And we can well understand why Peter has chosen, therefore, the lion to describe the power and fury of Satan. The devil is the chief enemy or foe of the church. The devil is the chief enemy adversary of the church and of God's people individually. As we mentioned, we ought not to think of the devil as some vague power or force that cannot be thought of in real terms. The devil is a spirit and therefore cannot be detected with the physical eye, but he is a strong reality in this world and especially in the lives of God's people. The devil is a definite being or existence and he is our adversary. That is, he stands opposed to us and fights against us. He desires nothing more than to tear us apart and kill us. That is what an adversary is, one who seeks to conquer and destroy. But let's understand what it is that makes the devil our adversary. He is, first of all, God's adversary. That's what makes him our adversary. The devil hates God. God not forget that Satan was an angel of light whom God created in the beginning of time when he created the heavens and the earth. But Satan in pride rebelled against God, and because he felt that he could be equal with God, he then led a rebellion of angels against the God of heaven and earth. But Satan cannot overcome God. 
And for this reason God cast the devil down from his place in heaven, together with the angels who rebelled with Satan. Ever since, Satan has continued his attempt to destroy God's divine purpose for all things. Satan's desire is to set up a kingdom of man that answers to him. Satan yet seeks to rule over God's creation and the men of this earth. He never will, of course, since he is but a creature in the hands of the Almighty Creator, but Satan tries. And for this reason, Satan hates Christ, too. Christ is the very fulfillment of God's kingdom and purpose for all things. Throughout the Old Testament, Satan attempted to keep Christ from being born. When Christ was born, Satan sought to kill him by the hands of wicked men. But Satan failed to realize that through his evil plans, he actually brought about the salvation of God's people and the realization of God's kingdom and cause in this world. And now, Satan is angry. He is cast out into this world, and he knows that his time is limited. Now he goes about with a fury in an attempt to thwart God's purpose for all things. And he does this by venting his anger and fury against the church of Christ and the members of that church who strive to remain faithful. Because Satan is the adversary of God and Jesus Christ, he has become the adversary of every faithful church and every saint who represents God's cause and kingdom in this world. Satan is a lion, and we are his prey. He hunts you and me who believe in Christ. He hunts us in order to kill us. Neither ought we to ignore how Satan attacks us. As a lion, very quietly he comes upon us. Who can determine from what direction he does so, save those who are very wary and watching closely? If we think he is coming at us from one direction, then he creeps upon us from another. If we think we have our backs covered, then be careful, because he will pounce upon us directly to our face. He is shrewd. He is cunning. He is clever. And he works, oftentimes so quietly. But one thing is for certain. Satan is stalking us, you and me. Satan does not need to pounce upon the wicked, unbelieving people of this world to destroy them. He already is the prince of this world. Satan works hardest where God's people strive to maintain the truth and to walk in that truth. He will send his devils elsewhere to do his work. Satan is where Christ's faithful church and people dwell, stalking them in order to turn them away from God and into sin. Satan stalks the church of Christ. He does so when he attempts to destroy the peace and the unity of the church. Divide and conquer is one of his greatest battle tactics. Bombard the church with heresies from all around. And finally, may, one may find foothold there. Put it in the hearts of those who are church in name only to level accusations against the church where the truth resides. Prejudice, judgmental, harboring sinners, closed-minded, and such like. He uses unbelievers within the church to accuse those who are faithful, to accuse them of error. Satan stalks God's people in their homes and families. Satan hates covenant families where husbands and wives abide in their callings to one another, and their children love and respect their father and mother. 
Satan uses every means possible to worm his way into the relationship and, of love and union between a husband and wife in order to tear it apart. He works in the hearts of covenant children through the media and through the world in an attempt to make them rebellious against parents. Satan stalks us in our personal lives too. He places before us all kinds of unholy temptations and pleasures in an attempt to turn us from a life of holiness. Satan slanders us. That's the literal meaning of the name devil, after all. means slanderer. A slanderer is one who lies about another in an attempt to defame him. The devil slanders God and Jesus, first of all. He tells lies about them to those who take God's name upon them. He lures people to conceive of God in a way that is not true. People make of God something that he is not. Or to those who are faithful, the devil would have them think that God does not love them or preserve them. The devil is a slanderer of God's people. He lies to others about us. He attempts to turn brother against brother in the church. The wicked world believes God's people to be the off-scouring of society rather than those who truly are. In this way, the devil creeps up upon the church and God's people in order to destroy them. And then, when we least expect it, Satan lets out his roar and he pounces upon us. Right when he has us where he wants us, he leaps upon us and tears us to shreds. What a horrible and frightening destruction he wreaks upon those of the church who are not God's elect. How rapidly apostate churches have turned from the fundamentals of the truth, ripped to shreds theologically and spiritually. That person is ripped to shreds, sometimes so horribly that one hardly dares to confront him anymore, so ugly spiritually has he or she become. In fact, many are torn apart so horribly that they themselves become bitter enemies of the church and the cause of Christ in this world. They even do things that many who have never received the gospel would think of doing. The horrible slander they can level at those with whom they at one time walked. Satan rips in pieces those who are members of the church, but who are in fact not the elect of God saved and preserved in Jesus Christ. The devil is a horrible and powerful enemy and we ought not to underestimate his power. Even in the lives of God's chosen people, the devil is able to cause them to stumble and fall into deep ways of sin. They too can be ripped apart by sin. Yes, God will work in their hearts by his grace, sorrow and repentance over such sin, just as he did with Peter. After all, Jesus prays for us. We are forgiven in his righteous blood, but sometimes the damage that is done and the scars often left behind are always there to remind us of our sin. And it takes an amazing work of God's grace to preserve us and to heal us. Thank God for the work of our Savior in our lives. Thank God that he preserves us from being completely devoured by Satan. But oh, what a time of pain and sorrow when we fall so deeply into sin that we are utterly humiliated and debased. Satan loves that. That's why you and I hear the admonition of verse 9, to resist the devil, 
Resist means to make a stand against Satan. The idea is not all that difficult to understand. When an army comes to destroy a city, then the army of that city is called upon to make a stand against that enemy. They do not just surrender themselves without a fight. They fight. They defend themselves no matter what the cost. They resist their foe and unleash every piece of artillery at their disposal. This is what we are called upon to do spiritually when our enemy attacks us. We must not freeze as does the prey when he is taken unexpectedly by that lion. We must be ready. When Satan attacks, we are called upon to use every spiritual weapon available to withstand the assaults of our foe. At the same time, we must realize that when we resist Satan, we are fighting against an enemy far stronger than we are. Never would I attempt to go up against the lion in my own strength. I know a lion is far stronger than I am. If I attempted to wrestle him in my own strength, I know I would get the worst end of the fight. Well, the same is true when the devil comes and fights against us from a spiritual point of view. This is why we are told in our text that we must resist the devil steadfast in the faith. Only as we dwell within the sphere of faith will we ever be able to stand against Satan. Paul writes in Ephesians 6 of that fact, of the fact that the shield of faith is that which we use to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith makes us firm and solid, immovable in the ways of the Lord. Satan is unable to sway or turn into the lie or into temptation one who is solidly rooted in faith. That must characterize us. And this is true because of what faith is. It is that bond that unites the believer to Jesus Christ. So strong is that bond that he becomes one body with Christ. By faith, the believer is united to the very one who resisted the temptations leveled against him by Satan in the wilderness, who in fact defeated and destroyed the power of sin and Satan over us at the cross. In total reliance upon Christ, we face our mighty foe. And Christ, in and through us, fights our battle against our dreaded enemy. All our resisting rests in Christ alone. We look to the cross of Jesus and what Christ has done there to fight Satan. As long as we rely upon Jesus Christ, we need never fear. But the battle is ours. With that assurance, we do not cower before Satan, but we rise up and we challenge him. No, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. Satan will never pluck us out of the hand of our faithful God, and nothing can separate us from his love that is in Christ Jesus. This means in turn that in order to resist the devil, we must be characterized by the following virtues of faith. We must be sober and vigilant. These are virtues that belong to those who are in the sphere of faith. If we sit back on our laurels and are not vigilant and sober, then we can be sure that Satan will take us unawares and do us hurt. We are commanded by God, first of all, be vigilant. That is to say, be watchful. This command stands contrary to the attitude of some of the church. The devil cannot arm me so long as I am a member of this church and, 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 and I know its doctrines. Contrary to this careless and profane attitude of some, 
The Bible gives us clear warning. Be vigilant. Keep your eyes open and your senses sharp. Because when you think that everything is fine in your life, when you fool yourselves into thinking that you can stand in your own strength, Satan pounces. We must be vigilant in our personal lives, in our families, and in our church. This is the one warning we receive. The other is, be sober. We must be characterized by the virtue of spiritual sobriety. To be sober is the opposite of drunkenness. One who is spiritually drunken is one who is out of touch with reality. He stumbles through life oblivious to the dangers that surround him. He fails to see and understand the attacks of Satan upon him in the home or in the church. His mind whirls too much with the pleasures and the riches of this present world. One who is sober, however, is alert to the dangers that surround him and ready to defend himself with the word of God and prayer. When the lion roars and leaps, the sober child of God will immediately flee to Christ and find strength to resist. Peter gives us one last thing as incentive, the common endurance that is found among our brethren. We find in this concluding statement of verse 9 that the suffering we experience by means of the attacks of Satan upon us is not peculiar to us. Suffering for Christ is common. Satan's attacks upon us either by means of temptation or persecution is something that we share in common with all of God's saints. But these attacks upon us are an evident token that we belong to Christ. The devil does not attack the wicked world, he attacks God's people. We can be assured, therefore, we belong to Christ when the devil moves to destroy us. But what is more, those saints who endured were given a crown of victory. Such victory is also ours when we endure the attacks of Satan upon us. Such victory is ours when we rest in the powerful, saving work of Jesus Christ alone. The devil is powerless to defeat the captain of our salvation. With that knowledge we resist Satan, and he will flee from us. Why? Christ is Lord. Before the power of Christ, Satan will turn and turn tail and flee. Christ has won the victory for us. Let's pray. Father in, th- in heaven, we thank thee for the salvation we have received in Christ and the strength that is ours in the cross and in his life that dwells within us. May we be vigilant, may we be sober, and may we resist Satan and his attacks against us and against the church. May we do that in the power of Jesus Christ. Forgive us where we have failed. Forgive us where we have fallen. Pray. We pray that thou wilt keep us for the sake of Christ and preserve us in the faith. For Jesus' sake, amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.